Good morning, Hamilton Mill. All right. Love it. <laughs> hey. Just so uh, I, I want to just say something because I'll forget to say it at the end of the service, but my wife is not here today. She's in, in Florida writing a book. She has to finish it today, so that's why she's not here today, but she sends her love to you guys, and uh, hopefully next time I come. I haven't been here in a couple years. It's been a long time. Look at you. <laughs> I like looking at you. By the way, after the service, I, if, it would really bless me if I haven't seen you in a while. I'm going to stand out there in the lobby. I would love to just say hello to you guys, so please come up and Especially those of you that are vintage Victory, that have been here for a while. You, you, you've been all the way back in the Norcross days. I, I was telling Chris, uh, we were, I came up to prayer on Wednesday night. I, I remember the, the day that I came up here when we took this church over. It was a small church at the time. Uh, had about a little, little over 100 people. And we were in the, what's, what's now the children's sanctuary was the sanctuary. And I remember looking at the crowd that was there and I said, now, are you ready to grow? Are you guys ready to grow? And these people hadn't grown in many, many years. It had been a long time since the church had grown. In fact, it was going the opposite direction. It was going backwards. And, and I said, because you understand that in, in the next few years, this church is going to be a lot bigger than it is today. And I said, some of you, you're not used to growth. And I said, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable when you grow. And you can see at 11 o'clock, it's a little uncomfortable when you come into a big church. Uh, are you, let me just ask you the same question. Are you ready to grow? Yeah, are you ready to grow? You say, well, how can we grow? Well, there's two ways that you can grow, and we've had to do this over the years. At Norcross, we had to figure out how do you, how do you make more room because we were filling overflows and everything like that. The 11 o'clock service is the most attended service of all the services that we have. So what I always ask is the people that are vintage victory, mature Christians, people that have been saved for a while that care about lost people, go to another service. Go to 9 o'clock, go to 1 o'clock, you know, do something other than the 11 o'clock so you can open up a seat for a lost person to come in. Amen? That's one way. The other way is we can knock that wall right out there and build another sanctuary that's a little bit bigger. So We built this church, y'all don't know this, but we built this church so that it could be doubled in size, so that we could take another side. And that's why we built the parking lot over there so we could, you know, join it to the to the to the place here. So get ready to grow. Amen. I'm really proud of you guys. Here's how I know you're going to grow. Here's how I know you're going to grow because you're praying. This is a prayer church now. I came on Wednesday night. You can't get five people to come on a Wednesday night to pray at any church in America. Y'all pack that sanctuary out praying. If, if you haven't been on Wednesday night, you need to come. That's where the fire is. That's where the fuego is. I always tell our church at Norcross, our campus there, I said, everything you see here is a result of what happened in prayer. Everything. You know, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. And I don't know about you, but I want God working in my life. Amen? Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We are in an incredible series within a series. We're the, the whole, almost the entire year we're spending in the Sermon on the Mount, Pastor Johnson in summer, uh, got that heart at the beginning of the year. We're going to spend a good portion of the year, at least through the month of October. And we knew that in the summertime, we were going to, you know, have to hit this, this, this theme on prayer because the Lord uh, introduces this in the Sermon on the Mount. He's, when they asked him, how do we pray? He said, this is how you pray. Now, I don't know about you, but, but when I read that the first time, the Lord's Prayer I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand what Jesus was doing at that moment. Uh, 
I thought, okay, how many, you've all said the Lord's Prayer. How many of you have said the Lord's Prayer when you were a kid? You said it if you played sports, if you did anything, you said the Lord's Prayer before you did stuff. And many people think that Jesus said, pray this, these words. But what he was saying, he wasn't saying pray these words. He was saying, when you pray, pray like this. In other words, there's a thematic uh, outline in this prayer that when you pray this way, you're praying in harmony with what God wants you to pray. Now, when I was a young Christian, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to pray. I just prayed. I just said words to God, but I had no idea what I was praying. I didn't know if it was the will of God. I was kind of just throwing things up there in heaven, hoping God would hear some of it. Until I learned in the Bible that when you pray like this, when you pray this, this way that Jesus said to pray, God not only hears this prayer, but he answers it. Now, I've been a Christian for over 40 years, and one of the greatest tragedies in the body of Christ is unanswered prayer. People who pray, but their prayers are not answered. And there's, an, there's sort of an underlying assumption a lot of times when people pray, no matter what they pray, that God's listening, that God's listening to their prayers. And I, I want you to understand something. I don't want to burst this bubble, but I want you to understand something. God does not hear every prayer. He does not hear every prayer. He doesn't listen to every prayer. He only listens to prayer that harmonizes with his words. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, whatever you pray, it will be done. Now, I don't know about you, but that's probably one of the greatest promises I've ever read in the Bible. That if I abide in Christ and his word abides in me, then when I pray, my prayer will be in harmony with his will. And John would say it this way, when you know you're praying according to God's will, you can be confident that God hears your prayers and he will answer those prayers. In other words, he doesn't answer all prayer, he doesn't hear all prayer, but he does answer prayer that aligns with his will, and his will is his word. When people say, well, if it be thy will, that's a kind of a cop-out when you say that, because the will is his word. If you pray his word, you don't have to say, if it be thy will, you just say, this is what your word says, God, and I'm holding you to your promises. Your promise says this, it says it. But the other great tragedy is not only unanswered prayer, but it's the ignorance of God's word, not knowing what God's word says. And so many Christians, so many people go to church on Sunday, and that's the level of their Christianity. Sunday morning is their relationship with God. And Monday through Saturday, they just kind of live out their life reacting to life instead of creating life in their prayer life. I was sitting in a prayer meeting many, many years ago. This is the early 1980s. When this person was preaching on prayer, and he was talking about this, this Lord's Prayer, and he said, once you start to get this thematic prayer in your life, and you start to pray this way, when you pray this way, everything in your life will change. I was newly married. I had a baby girl. She was like one month old. I was about to go to Bible college, preparing for two years before we came here to Atlanta in 1989 to start this church. And I remember just the overwhelming pressure of life, thinking about 
How was I going to manage to take care of my family? I didn't want my wife to work while we were going to school because I wanted her to be at home with my baby girl after school. So I knew I had to get a job to support my family. I knew that it was going to be difficult. And I remember when I got out to, to Oklahoma to start school, I got up the first morning I was there, and I had started praying what, the way we've been teaching you the last few weeks. And I got up, and, and the Lord said, if you want this to work, if you want this whole thing to work, this whole idea of going to college, Bible college, starting a church, doing all this, you've got to start learning how to pray those things in. You've got to begin to pray those things in. So I get up every morning. I got, I got trained this way, get up every morning early. I'm an early riser anyway, but I got up about 5 o'clock in the morning. I'd get up and I'd start praying. I'd go out and take a little prayer walk around my neighborhood. Back then, you could actually walk around your neighborhood, <laughs> not worry about getting shot or kidnapped, but that's a little different today. But I would walk around my neighborhood, and I would pray for about probably about 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. I would pray the Lord's Prayer. And all of a sudden... I started noticing supernatural things started happening. The job that I got was, was a job that I'd never done before, and it was provided, and I, could, I didn't have to go to work till 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and, and I, I was able to work and make enough money to support my family, pay off all of our debts, do, the, do, the, do life fairly well. I, I, I went through school. When we started the church, I had already been praying out. I was praying for all of you that are sitting here. I was praying for you in 1987. Some of you weren't even born yet. And I was praying. I said, God, I'm praying for our church, and, this, I, and I prayed over our vision, Acts 1-8. All the, the four pillars that you see here, those were all birthed out of prayer. Everything you see came from the prayer that we started back in those days. When I got to the Lord's Prayer, when I started studying it, I began to realize there's, there's something before the Lord's Prayer that we need to understand. So let's read this. I want you to read this. These are the words of Jesus preparing us to pray in verse 4. When you pray, you shall not be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. Everybody say secret place. The secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. In other words, don't just keep saying the same thing over and over again. And don't just keep repeating the same prayer over again as if God's hard of hearing. He hears you the first time. He's not about hard of hearing. It's just he's, he's, he's listening for you to speak what the word says versus what you feel. And when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Now, this got my attention years ago, and I sat down and I thought through that a little bit. There was three thoughts that came to my mind. Number one, praying in private is a sign of a real relationship with God. Don't tell me you have a real relationship with God and you don't pray regularly. It's not possible. It's not possible to have a real relationship with God and not pray on a regular basis. And when you pray privately, what you're demonstrating to God, what you're saying to God is, I want to get to know you. 
I don't want to just have some faraway thought of who you are. I want to know you up close. I want to know you intimately. I want to have a dialogue with you. I don't want to just be the one talking. I want to also be the one listening. In fact, I want to listen more than I talk. Prayer is just as much listening as it is talking. So it's a sign that you have a real relationship with God. The second thing, praying consistently is a sign of dependency on God. It's saying, I can't, but you can. I, I, I have situations in my life that are impossible, but God, you're the God of the impossible. There is nothing impossible with God. How many of you know that? You believe that? There is nothing impossible with God, and I've discovered that over the years when I'm praying sometimes that I, the more I get to know God and to depend on God, the more I begin to believe for bigger things, bigger things in my life. I have this little, little thing, a wooden plaque in my home, and it just says two words, pray big. Don't pray little, pray big. Well, you can't pray big until you've prayed little, and the more consistent you are, the more you're saying to God, I really depend on you, instead of I got this, God. And then the third thing about prayer is when you pray the word of God, it's a sign you have faith in God. It's a sign you have faith. You're not just praying your feelings, your emotions. And Jesus is trying to get us to see this, that when you pray, don't use vain repetitions. Pray the word. Pray what the word says. Now, here's the problem. If we don't know the word, <laughs> we can't pray the word. Amen. And so one of the first things you have to do to be better in prayer is you've got to learn to memorize the word. You've got to learn to meditate on it long enough. I remember the first time I was reading through Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and David's crying out to the Lord, and he says, and I shall not want, and I paused on that for a moment. I said, what would life be like if I just lived a life where I didn't want, where I really knew that, God, you were the God who supplies everything for me, and I never want for you. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. You make me lie down in green pastures. By the way, if you don't lie down in green pastures, he'll make you lie down. <laughs> one way or the other. You restore my soul. Lead me beside still waters. Restore my soul. You lead me in paths of righteousness. And, and on and on. And I said, I've got to learn that. I've got to be able to say that. I've got to be able to remember that. I can't just read it once a year. I've got to know that this, these words are life, that are born out of a personal, deep devotion that David had with God. So, with all that in mind, Jesus is saying, this is a process, and when you learn to pray, you'll eventually understand this process. There's three phases of this process. The first phase is you have a desire to pray. Now, let me ask you, how many of you here have a desire to pray? You have a desire. Let me see your hands. I want to see everybody's hand. Everybody. Some of you aren't raising your hands. You don't have a desire to pray. Well, you'll never pray then. But if you have a desire... Then you have to go to the second phase, and this is the hard part. This is the difficult part of prayer, the discipline of prayer. Now, if anybody has ever worked out with weights or worked out with running or something like that, you understand that there's phases you go through in trying to get your body in shape, and some of us do it better than others. Some of you are really good at it, and some of us are not. But most of us desire, how many of you desire to have a healthy body? Almost all of us have... I mean, you don't raise your hand. I desire to have a healthy body. You know, when you get old, that's the number one thing you're thinking about. 
You spend all your health to get wealth and then all your wealth to get health. <laughs> health is more important than wealth. How many of you found that out? You can have all the money in the world, but if you're dying of cancer, that's not gonna do you any good. And so the idea was, if you're gonna get your body in shape, you gotta be disciplined, amen? You gotta get up, and I've, I've, in my, I've had phases of my life where I was disciplined in this area. Disciplined in your eating, disciplined in working out, because you know that if you're gonna get this thing in shape, you're gonna have to work. And it's a process, and, and you're not gonna just take a pill and your body's gonna get in shape. You're not, you're not gonna just uh, you know, pray and everything, all your fat's gonna melt away. You're gonna have to do something, amen? And most people don't have the discipline to do that, and so they suffer the consequences of it. They suffer the consequences in their body, and then they're praying all the time for God to heal them, and God's saying, well, I want to heal you, but you, you, know, you keep putting this garbage in your body, and you keep not exercising, that's not good stewardship. Amen. The same way in prayer. You have to be disciplined. And this is where... You're, you're going through this process. If you're going to get closer to God, if you're going to have more results with God, if you're going to see more things happen with God, you've got to build this prayer discipline in your life daily. Everybody say daily. You've got to prepare yourself on a regular basis. Otherwise, your prayers will go unanswered. And you won't see the results that God wants you to have. One of the beautiful things that God gave us on the earth was the ability to pray and the, and the right to pray his word so that we could have what God says we can have in the earth. All right, so then you go through this discipline stage and if you do it long enough and strong enough and consistent enough, you get to this third stage, which is eventually, you, you reach it in physical exercise as well, is the delight stage. The delight stage, if you work out, you understand, you eat right, you'll stand in front of the mirror and you will delight yourself in the presence of your body. <laughs> well, how many of you know if you haven't been doing all that and you're standing in the mirror, there's no delight. Lord, what's going on here? <laughs> the same is spiritually true. You can get to a place, and I, I, I wish I could put this inside of you, where you so look forward to praying, getting in the presence of God. I got up this morning at 4.30. I get up early. When you get old, you go to bed early and you get up early. <laughs> Don't hold a late meeting for an old person. They're, they're out. Of, I'm, I'm starting to lose concentration about 6 o'clock at night. <laughs> but I get up early and I've got, my, my focus is on uh, getting started right. I, I, you know, Paul said, bodily pro exercise profiteth a little, but godliness profits more. He says, it's more important to pray than it is to work out. All you work out people, remember that. And so I got up this morning, and I, in my, my, I have a consistent thing. I get up, I got my little dog, and I, I take care of the dog. I feed the dog, let the dog out, making the coffee. I have a coffee maker, I make my coffee. A cappuccino, and, and I'm making it, and I get the coffee, and I know that it's going to take about five or ten minutes for me to get all this done, and then once it gets done, I go sit down. I have a little secret place that I go to in my house. I go by, get away from everybody, and I sit down. I, first, before I start praying I, or reading the Word, I start drinking my coffee. God created coffee. <laughs> Listen, 
Y'all know what I'm talking about. God created coffee to bring revelation to you. You can't get revelation till you drink your coffee. Once you drink coffee, coffee drinkers know what I'm talking about. You're just sitting there drinking your coffee in about five or ten minutes, and then all of a sudden that caffeine kicks in, and everything just clears up. It just clears up. I mean, whoa. And God starts speaking, and you can actually hear him. You can understand the word. You're not falling asleep. You can pray. You can, Amen. Amen. So I'm praying this morning. And I honestly, I, I just said, I, 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 walk, I, I usually walk and pray. So I go outside and I'm walking through my, my neighborhood. And I'm praying and it's still dark and I'm praying. And I'm just like, God, I just so love to spend time with you. Now, if you're not there, you can get there. That's what I want to encourage you with this morning. You can get there. All right, so Jesus would then say in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, verses 9, he starts this prayer. He says, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, you start off, before you ever start asking me, you start worshiping me. And we've already given that message about the names of God and the importance of using those names to remind yourself of who God is. You're Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord my righteousness. You're Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord who sanctifies me. And you go through this just reminding yourself daily of who God is and how good he is. And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, you're establishing now his kingdom, his will over your will and over your kingdom. You're not here to build your kingdom, you're here to build his kingdom And you're reminding yourself and you're praying the kingdom of God and the will of God into your personal life, into your character, into your integrity, whoever you, God created you to be in your purpose. You're praying over your family. You're covering your your family, my wife, my daughter. Sometimes I'm praying over my marriage in this way. Let the kingdom of God come. Your will be done. Then I'm praying over the church. I'm praying over, in, in your case, maybe your business, your, your, whatever you do in your life. You're praying over the nation. How many of you know this nation could use a few people praying for it? I pray for whoever's the president. I don't pray for a president because I like him or I don't like him. Did you all just hear what I said? And I found that when I pray for people, even people that I don't agree with and I don't like, I do better with them. Because I believe God is doing something when I'm praying for that person. Now, how many of you know, we, our presidents, our Congress, they could use a few people praying for them instead of criticizing them all the time. Can I get a bigger amen? amen. All right. Then he goes into this prayer about praying for your provision. Then he goes into this prayer about praying over how you walk in love with people. And then he says in the final part of this prayer, and this is the last one. He says in verse 13, do not... Lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, when he says this, he, he is making a demarcation. This is the fifth demarcation of prayer in the Lord's Prayer. He's making a demarcation of prayer where you are literally coming into a place of agreement with the word of God, and you are taking authority over the evil one. You're learning how to take authority over the evil one. Now, how many of you know there's no shortage of evil in the earth. When people say, well, I just, you know, if God is real, why is there all this poverty? Why is there all this tragedy? Why is there all this crime? Why is there all this? Because we have a little G God that rules in this world, and his name is Satan. 
And most people don't believe in him because he's convinced most people he doesn't exist. But if you read the Bible, it's very clear he exists. He exists from the very beginning of time. And from the very beginning of time, he set out to steal, kill, and destroy all of humanity. He hates you. He hates people. He hates anything to do with God and his will and his purpose. He's been cast out of heaven along with a third of the angels, which now are demons, in the earth, roaming about the earth, seeking whom he may devour. And when you sign up for Jesus and you start to serve God, you become a target of his. Because you could be dangerous if you discover truths in the word that take authority over him. So the first thing he does is he tries to convince people he doesn't exist and God doesn't exist. And he's got probably two-thirds of the world convinced that God doesn't even exist. That there's no God at all in some fashion or form worshiping a wrong God. And then he creates all kinds of religions, including Christian religions, that keep people bound in religion instead of reality and relationship with God. And their whole life is spent at a distance from God because they never really understand who God is. Religion, in essence, is an enemy of God. It's a, it's a part of the plan of the enemy to keep people at bay from really knowing who God is. You don't know God through religion. You know God through a relationship. And this is such a vital revelation. But Satan creates all kinds of religions to keep people from understanding who he is. And then he uses his number one tactic. The only thing he has empowered, been empowered to actually do, as you'll discover in a moment, he's been stripped of all authority, and that is to deceive people. Every time you sin... It's connected to deception. It's connected to a lie you believed over the truth. That somehow if I do this or I say this or I become this or I go in this direction, that's the way I need to go when in fact it has nothing to do with what God created for you to do. All of our sin problems, all of our trouble in life is a byproduct of believing a lie. And so... Jesus says there's a way to pray, and when you pray this way, he will deliver you from this evil. He will deliver you from this evil, and whenever you're tempted, you'll be able to endure the temptation. It will not overcome you. It will not overtake you. You will rule over it instead of it ruling over you. So that got my interest, and so I'm, I'm looking through the Bible as far as what does this what does this say about this? And then the Lord said to me, he said, you just explain this to me. He said, there's two worlds that we live in. We live in what we call the visible world. This is the visible, tangible world right now. The chair you're sitting in, the people that are next to you, the sanctuary, where we are right now is visible. We can see it all. But he said, there's another world that's called the invisible world. And the invisible world, things are happening in the invisible world that affect the visible world. And it affects it in a bad way. And if you don't understand this, then you're not going to understand why there's so much evil and why there's so much trouble in the world and that you can do something about it when you pray. It's hard to understand this, but right now in this room, there are angels in this room. You can't see them. But the Bible says he gives his angels charge over you. People have angels. 
I don't know about you, but I have a pretty good angel. How many of you have ever had a situation where you just, how did that happen? I, I was driving down the road when I was going to God's College, the University of Georgia. I had to get that in there. I've been Hamilton Mill, just making sure. You see, you used to have a godly pastor up here that was a Georgia. You got an Alabama guy now. But. By the way, God can even use people from Alabama to pastor churches. <laughs> Let me just pause for a moment. You too are awesome. You've done a great job here. You've done a great job here. I appreciate the culture you're setting here and the people here. I feel like when I walk in the door here, this is a, this is a church. This is not just a place you go to on Sundays. This is people that love God and, and love each other. And you very, this is a godly, this is a really good church right now. Very good church. And thank you for your leadership and all the staff that's here, the leadership that they have. Even though you, you haven't got your theology correct when it comes to football. But I'm driving down the road and I'm going back home but I was, when I was in college. I wasn't Christian. And all of a sudden my car starts hydroplaning and I'm heading right towards a car. I'm going to head head on, on, on the road right into Athens. And at the last minute, my car just swerves to the left and goes off the road and I didn't do anything. I was out of control. It just swerved off and it went into the ditch and, and, I, and I was fine. And I remember thinking, okay, the only way that could happen Something supernatural just happened here. I don't know what was happening. God had his angels watching over me before I was even saved, before I was ever a Christian, and he has the same for you. That's why you're sitting here. Some of you should have been, some of you should have died. Now, when I say that, if there's angels, there's also demons. <laughs> and most people don't recognize how demons work and what you need to do about that. And so he's saying right here, God, deliver me from this evil. Now, our battle, here's what Ephesians says. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 6, 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. In other words, there's a season until Jesus comes back to the earth where demons run rampant in the earth. And it says when, even when Jesus was on the earth and he conf and confronted these demons, they said, why have you come for us before our time? In other words, before the end of time. Why are you messing with us now? Because they need to be messed with. Otherwise, they will mess with you. Demons are real. You don't have to look at this world and wonder, are demons real? Would y'all agree with me? And you see a lot of people cooperating with them. The last thing you want to be doing as a, as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, is cooperating with demons. And so God's saying, if you're going to stop cooperating with demons and start living this pure life with God, you're going to have to learn how to pray this. You're going to have to learn how to pray this because if you don't pray this, then demons will have their way with you. They, they're, they're, they, don't, they don't respect you. They don't care what you've achieved in the earth. You can be the richest person on the earth, the poorest person on the earth. You can be the best looking or the ugliest person on the earth. He doesn't care. He's just after you. All right. So he says, our battle's not with flesh and blood. Now, the challenge 
is most people don't understand this, and so as a result, they're spending most of their life reacting to the devil instead of responding to God. Most of our lives are spent reacting to what the devil throws at us instead of responding to God and taking authority in that part of our prayer. All right. So he goes on to say this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Here's what he says. This is a great prayer. I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know, number one, what is the hope of your calling, Number two, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints? What is God expecting out of you? And then number three, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above. Everybody say far above. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things, including all these spiritual powers, where did he put them? Under his feet. And he gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church. In other words, he's saying, He destroyed Satan. Colossians says it this way in 2.15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. One of the greatest revelations that I ever got as a Christian was the authority of the believer. The fact that I no longer have to wait and react to the devil. I can take authority in my prayer over the enemy before he ever gets started. And the reason... The reason I can do that is because Jesus defeated him on the cross. It says not only did he defeat him on the cross, but he took the keys of death and hell, rose from the grave, and conquered the enemy. The enemy has no longer got authority in the earth over believers. And he said that authority was handed to Jesus, and it says now he is under the feet of Jesus. And here's the good news. When Jesus comes to live inside of you, he's under your feet as well. He's under your feet. And what you've got to do in prayer is get him out of here and out of here and out of here, put him down there. You've got to put him in his place in prayer. You've got to learn how to take authority in your prayer. And come on, tell you, when you start taking authority and you start learning how to pray this prayer, you're going to be amazed at how your life will go. You're going to be amazed at what, what you used to put up with is no longer what you have to put up with anymore. You become dangerous. How many of you want to be dangerous? You want to be dangerous. All right. Now, it doesn't mean you won't get attacked. It doesn't mean the enemy doesn't try to do things in your life. It just means you understand now who you're dealing with and how to deal with him. It doesn't mean bad things don't happen. It just means you now know how to overcome those bad things. You know how to live in victory, amen? All right, so what's the battleground? The battleground for temptation, for evil, the battleground is your mind. Just take your hands right here and just put them on both sides. This is where the battleground is. You have three parts that every human being is made up of. You have a body, you have a soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and you have a spirit. 
You have a human spirit. When it says you must be born again, what it means is you're born in the flesh naturally, and then you have to be born in the spirit. Your human spirit has to be born in, in Jesus. It has to be born again. If it's not born again, then you have no power and authority over your mind and your body. But once you're born again, your human spirit becomes who you really are. I say it this way. You live in a body, you have a mind, but you are a spirit. When you die, this body, this body does not go to heaven. I know some of you think, well, I just, my body's gonna go. No, your body doesn't go to heaven. Your body decays. What goes to heaven is your spirit and then you get what's called a resurrected body, a new body, and I love the new body. No sickness, no disease, no wrinkles, no fat. No, come on. It's in perfect harmony with God. You don't wake up in the middle of the night feeling pain. You have no pain in your body. Have you ever been without any pain? I, I can't remember what, uh, many, many, many years ago, I had a kidney stone and they had me on pain medication. And I took that pain medication, and it, it works. It works. I preached six months with pain, pain medication. I preached some of the best sermons I've ever, <laughs> funny, jokes, all kinds of stuff. I didn't care what was just coming out. It was godly. It was good, but it was funny. Anyway, but I remember once, that, once I had this kidney stone, finally they had to put, put me under and do surgery. But before they did that, they put me on this medicine that, that had morphine in it for a couple of days before the surgery. And it, it took all the pain out. I had no pain. And I remember walking into a crowd of people and my wife announced to the crowd, now, now Dennis had morphine in him, so you cannot be held accountable for anything that he does or says at this moment. I understand why people become drug addicts. And he said, tonight you will pass that kidney stone without the surgery, you'll, you'll pass it because you're relaxed and you don't feel any pain. And I remember just thinking, wow, what would life be like with no pain? And God said, that's what heaven's like. You have, without the drugs, you have no pain. Come on, somebody. Just no pain. All right, so here's what he says. Here's what John says. He's teaching us this, about the, 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 the primary areas. This is where temptation comes. He says in 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things of the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, here's the three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Everything we're seeing playing out right now, it, it, you know, all the sexual identity stuff that's in kids today, I don't know what sex I am, I, maybe I'm a boy instead of a girl, maybe, but all that is born all that is born, the confusion is born in lust. It's just the lust of the flesh. It's just your flesh ruling over what God created you to be. Did you hear what I just said? God didn't, he's, he's not confused about who you are. He created you to be who you are. There is no confusion. But the world has confused people because people are cooperating with demonic influence in their life. Their friends who are not Christians are convincing them that this is the way to go, this is the way to think, this is the way to be. And once you act on it, your flesh begins to acquiesce to it, lust after it, and you forget about who God is. 
So he's saying, these are the three things you've got to battle with. So when you study the life of Jesus, you'll see as soon as he went out into the desert before he started his earthly ministry, he had to deal with those three things. The first thing the devil did is he, he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He said, the, it, you can turn stones into bread. You're, if you're God, you can turn stones into bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the Father. And he goes, he says, okay. And then he takes him up and he, and he, and he takes him up on a high mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, if you'll just fall down and worship me, he said, then you can, you, you'll, I'll give you everything. I'll give you the whole world if you'll just worship me. And he says, it is written that you shall worship the Lord God and him only shall you serve. And he says, all right, I'm, I'm gonna try one more thing. He takes him up on a high mountain. He says, all right, just jump off, jump off. He says, because it's written, he, he quotes the word to, back to Jesus, that the angels will bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And he says to him, he says to him, it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. I remind my, my wife, both of us, you know, as we get up, we're 65, 66. She's 66, I'm 65. And, uh, six months, I just get to brag on that. And I tell, she's always, she's like, since she turned 60, I want to jump out of an airplane. I want to parachute. I want to jump. I want to, I just want that thrill. And she said, I want you to do it with me. I said, I'm not doing it with you. I said, the Lord said, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. When you get up in high places, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. <laughs> I quote the writ written word of God over her. All right. So every time he said three words, and this is what you've got to understand about prayer, he said three words. It is written. Let's say it together. It is written. Now, let me challenge you guys. The more you know what is written, the more powerful you are in prayer. The more you know it, the more you have it inside, the more you have meditated on it, the more you have memorized it, the more you know what the word of God says, then when you're praying, you're not praying your will, you're praying God's will. God's will is his word. Faith begins where the will of God is known, the will of God is the word of God, so faith begins where the word of God is known. The more you know the word, the more you can have faith that God will bring that to pass. That's why Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, John 15, 7, you shall ask whatever you desire, because you're not gonna be asking outside of my will, you're going to be in harmony with me because you're in my word, meditating on my word. You're going to be asking according to the word, and I shall do it. There's something about a believer in Jesus who understands the word, prays the word, that God will pass over a thousand other people that go to church on Sunday to get to that one person who believes the Bible and believes what the word of God says. I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those people. I want to be one of those people that God passes over people to get to because he hears his word being quoted and spoken in faith. It brings pleasure to him to hear his word spoken. It brings honor to God. It blesses God when we take the time to read and digest it is written and then speak it out in power. When you start to pray it out, 
you start to learn that the power of the scripture does things. Satan has no authority over the scriptures. The Bible has power and authority. When we, we say, why does it have authority? Because the Bible is Jesus who was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the embodiment of the word. When you read the word, meditate on the word, speak the word, you're reading, meditating, and speaking Jesus into the earth. You are bringing the revelation of the power and the authority. That's why the Bible says there is no name in the heavens, in the earth, and below the earth that is greater than the name of Jesus. That's why it says demons will bow. Everything will bow to the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus has all authority. And if we would just use it, we would have authority. You have no authority. I have no authority in Dennis's name. I don't go, I pray God in Dennis's name. I pray in Jesus's name. And here's what I say. These are just some few scriptures. I'm just gonna give you a few and then we'll wrap it up. Here's what it says. This is just a few. James 4, 7. Therefore, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So here's you, God, right now. I, res- I submit myself. Let's just lift our hands. Let's do it right now. Let's just lift our hands. God, let's say it again. God, I submit myself to you. Now, really, I, I submit myself to you. And I resist the devil, and he must flee from me. Today, I'm submitted to God. I'm not going to submit to the world. I'm not going to submit to what the world has to say. I'm submitting to you, God. And if I'm submitting to you, then I have the power to resist the devil, and he must flee from me. He has no authority in my home, in my family, in my children. He has no authority in their lives. Here's another one. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God who is faithful, you ought to take a screenshot of that right there. And God who is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. So every morning I say, God, I thank you that no temptation that comes my way is not common. It's already common to man. A lot of people have to deal with this temptation. I can't claim it as my own. But God, whatever comes my way, you've already enabled me to bear it and to escape it today. Before it ever happens, before I ever get into this world, I'm praying right now, no matter what temptation comes my way, you've already enabled me to bear it and to escape it today. That's what you're praying out. You're speaking that over yourself. Then then this other one, 2 Corinthians 10, 4. This is another one. Take a screenshot of it once they put it up here. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high, now I'm dealing with my mind, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So I say this every morning, God, I thank you, the weapons of my warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every argument against God, every wicked imagination, I bring it into the authority and the captivity of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. And I, and I say that over my mind so that my mind has already been formed and shaped by what the word says instead of what the world says. 
Now, if I can do this consistently, my mind will start to transform. The strongholds that have been built in my mind will begin to break off, and it will no longer be, I'll no longer be controlled by the worldly thoughts that I used to be controlled by. It doesn't happen automatically, but it happens over time. And as you pray, you break strongholds. I break the stronghold of this or that, whatever stronghold is over your mind that's controlling you. And then I'll close it with this one, usually. Ephesians chapter six. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So in other words, there's gonna, by the way, let me just tell you something. Every day is an evil day. <laughs> and it's getting more evil. So this is, this is every day. And you're going into battle, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Now I like to say this to men because men need to hear this from time to time. I'm getting a little weary of weenie men in the church. <laughs> weenie men. Men who don't know who they are and what they're called to do in their family, praying over their family. I'm getting a little tired of women being the prayer warriors and men sitting back doing nothing. Listen to me. He's telling you, he's telling men, if you're going to lead, if you're going to be authority in the earth, if you're going to take dominion over the devil, you are the watch keeper. You're the doorkeeper of your house. The reason we have so much societal problems in children and women is because the men have not taken their position in their homes as the servant in the home, as the model of Jesus in the home, and as the prayer warrior of their home. Every man should be covering their family. When you see your kids starting to serve the devil, it's a problem usually with the dad. Almost inevitably, either there's no dad or you got a weenie dad. No more weenie dads at Hamilton Mill. No more weenie men. No men acting like women. Act like a man. Be like a man. Fight like a man. War like a man. Don't be going, God, whatever you feel like. You're a man. Talk like a man. Be a man. Don't mimic somebody you heard act like who God created you to be. And when you've done all to stand and all hell's breaking loose, stand. Stand and fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of the promises of God and put some armor on. Put some armor on. And he says, girding the loin belt of truth, putting on the loin belt of truth. The first thing you do in a, when, a, when a Roman soldier is putting his, his armor on is he puts his loin belt on. Because every other part of his armor is hooked to his loin belt. So the first thing he does is he puts the loin belt of truth on, puts the word of God in him before he ever starts out in his day. If you go out without the word, you are unarmed. You're fighting the battle naked. You have no armor on. And you are not equipped to deal with the devil without armor. You are not. You're, 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 you're gonna be defeated. That's why you put the armor on, the loin belt of truth, and then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If you know who you are and whose you are, then you know you can pray with authority. If you don't know who you are and whose you are, we're living in a world, I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. Well, let me tell you who you are. You're a son and a daughter of the living God. You're a man and a woman of God. 
who are called to do battle with the kingdom. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. Then he says, shod your feet with the preparations of the gospel of peace. In other words, you are a person that's trying to bring reconciliation to the world to Jesus. You're trying to bring people to Christ so that they can be at peace. And you're walking in peace. You're not walking always offended, getting mad at everything. You're a person who walks in love, even with your enemies. You're blessing people who curse you. You're doing good to people who hate you, who despitefully use you. That's just bouncing off of you because you got the shoes ready to walk in peace with people. And he says, above all, take the shield of faith to quench every fiery dart that the enemy throws at you. Fear comes to your door, answer it with faith, and there will be nothing there. Be faith-filled, not fear-filled. This is why I I try my best to stay away from the news. I have to know sometimes what's going on, but most of the news is designed to put fear into your heart. Look what the devil's doing over here. Look what the devil's doing over there. Look what the, glorifying the devil on a daily basis, and we're just sitting there eating it up, and it becomes our gospel instead of the word. Some of you, Fox News is more important to you than reading the Bible. You spend more time looking at the news than you do looking at God and digesting that. And you wonder why you're always worried and fear because you're not putting the word in. You're not having faith because you haven't got any word. Faith, put the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Then take the helmet of salvation, which you're assured yourself each day. I am a son and a daughter of God I have a relationship with you. You'll never leave me. You will never forsake me. You will always forgive me. God, I am saved. I am redeemed from destruction. And then he says, finally, take the sword of the Spirit. Take your hand like this. Just take it like, take the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Not just the Word. It's the spoken Word of God. And he says, then when you pray, pray with all manner of prayer and supplication in the spirit. And this is when you know you're ready for battle. You're ready to take authority over the enemy. He has no authority over you. I take authority over Satan today. I take authority over any demon that's been assigned to me or my family. You have no entrance into this house. And then I'll say, God, show me any area I've opened the door to the devil so that I can shut it. Is it through the internet? Is it through television? Where is it so I can get it out of my life? Come on. Sometimes you just have to get ruthless with the enemy. you got to be a warrior. Hamilton Mill is filled with warriors for God. You're filled with people who will fight the good fight of faith. (laughs) You're not going to get this in religious circles. You're going to get this from the Word of God. And when you read the word and you discover who you are in Christ and that you have authority over the enemy, you can boldly say, there is no temptation that comes my way that's not common to man. But God, you'll enable me to bear it and escape it. Weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to pull down every stronghold, cast down every wicked imagination, bring into captivity every thought of disobedience. I'm girding up my loins with truth, putting on the breastplate. And you just go through this whole thing. And when you pray this way, as you start to pray, you begin to gain confidence that God is in control and that he is well able to deliver you from all evil. All evil. Now I want you to stand up to your feet. I want you to stand up. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment before we go home today. I want you to look inside. For just a moment, I want you to allow God just to kind of 
speak to you about your life with God. Some of you may have come in the doors and you recognize, right as you're standing there, you recognize my life is not where it needs to be with God. It's not right with God. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. But sometimes you'll be in a situation like this where God will speak to you and say, this is the day. I've created for your life to start over again. I've created for your life to forsake your sins, leave them at the altar of Christ, and let Christ come into my life, change me forever. There's a war that goes on when this happens. There's a battle between the ears that tries to talk you out of it, tries to convince you you don't need this, or this is not, I'm not ready for this, but let me tell you something. Now is your day. This is your day that God created from the very foundation of the world for some of you to give your hearts to Jesus right here, right now. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, all I want you to do is just simply acknowledge that, God, today I want to surrender my life. I want to repent of my sins and give my heart to Jesus. Start my life over again. Or I'm going to come back. I've been fallen away and I've got to get my life back where it needs to be with God. Would you just all across this building, just lift your hands. All across this building, just lift, that's you, that's you. Lift your hand. All right, we're gonna pray this prayer. And when we pray this prayer, this is the most important prayer you will ever pray in your life. So take heed to it and understand it. Let's say it together. Believers, say it with me. Jesus, right now, I repent of my sins. I turn away from all the darkness in my life and I turn to you Jesus which is the light of my life I believe you are the son of God who died on a cross for my sins and then rose from the dead today I surrender my life I surrender my body my mind my human spirit into your hands and I invite you, Jesus Christ, to take over my life as the Lord and the Savior in Jesus' name. Now, just take our hands all across this building. Let's just lift them up to the Lord. Lord, we worship you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for bringing revelation into our hearts about Jesus. We thank you for saving those who are lost. We thank you for redeeming those who are headed towards destruction. And today we thank you, God, for delivering us from all temptation, delivering us from evil. And from this day forward, I pray over every person in this church that as we implement these prayers, their life will never be the same again. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Hey, let's celebrate with every person that gave their life to Jesus.